Welcome to the newest edition of the With the Works podcast, featuring today one of my favorite people in the game, Jonathan Stetton from PastaWire.com. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Bruno. So, John, uh, we've known each other a long time, and we've gone through the ups and downs of the racing game. Tell us, first of all, your background in racing. And don't leave out the good stories now, okay? Yeah, and... um, for sure. I I grew up on a racetrack. Um, my my dad wasn't wasn't on the backside. He was a mutual clerk. He actually met my mom at the races. Um, my mom used to go to the races all the time when she was young, and so did my dad. They met at the racetrack. Um, wound up getting married, and y- y- you know it was only natural. My dad became a mutual clerk. And on the weekends when I was a little kid, I mean, five years old, four years old, you know, my mom would go to the racetrack and hang around, you know, while my dad was working. And I was running around the back, um, the backyard at Belmont playing when I was a kid. We spent every summer, every August back then. It used to be only August up at Saratoga. Um, as I got a little older, you know, I worked on the backside myself, got involved in different things, became a mutual clerk, was a jockey agent for a little while. Um, always you know around horse racing uh you know at first the weekends and then and then you know by the time i was maybe 17 years old i had dropped out of school and i was going to the racetrack every day uh before that i was cutting school to go to the racetrack which was hard for me because i had to hide from my dad during the week at that time which was not easy but uh you know from a very young age uh betting on the horses became a passion of mine and uh i, I i've been doing it my, my entire life. What, what drives the pick six king? Well, you, you know, I would say making scores, taking down big scores. You know, once you've taken down a couple of big scores, uh, that kind of gets in your blood and, and it teaches you a very important fact that you're capable of doing it. You know, once, you know, once you walk out of the track with, uh, with, with a hundred thousand or 200,000 or, or $500,000, um, those are, those are respectable amounts of money. And once you do that once, twice, three, four times, you learn, you know, you're capable of it. So every time I approach a card, um, I know that that's a possibility and having those kind of paydays is what, what continues to drive me uh, playing this game. Isn't it a fact that when you are gambling out there, even, sometimes you have the ability of saying, uh, I love this card and I'm going to make money and you make nothing and you go, uh, yes. into a, and a, go into a card that you just think you don't have an opinion and you end up walking out with 50000 You know, it, it happens a lot. Um, it's one of those idiosyncrasies of the game. Uh, and there are so many in this game. Another thing that's always perplexed me, and I think I figured out the reason, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'm sure some of the listeners have. When you're alive in a, in a multi-race wager, like a pick four, or pick five, or pick six, and it's the last leg, and you have a bunch of horses, and you already got a single or maybe two singles home or a race where you had only one or two horses home and now comes the last leg, there's 12 horses, maybe you've got six or seven of them and you don't win, you lose that leg. And that happens to me so many times that, I mean, it just happened about, I would say if it wasn't this past weekend, the weekend before that, I was alive with eight out of 12 horses going into the last leg on a nice paying pick four. And I, I didn't hit it. Not only didn't I hit it, I didn't run one, two, three. So I called a friend of mine up. I said, how is that even possible? And I've thought about this for, I mean, so many times. And I think I've narrowed it down to um, at least what I think is the reason. I think that when you go that deep in a race and you don't yeah. use all, which I very rarely do. Uh, I can't even remember the last time I pressed all. I'm always trying to eliminate a couple. But when you go that deep in a race, it might just mean that you really don't have that solid opinion on a race or, or a, great, a great feel for that race. So you're vulnerable and you wind up getting beat with a bunch of horses. Um, oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that, that, uh, that, that's what I got to narrow it down to. But I know it happens a lot. And it's one of those idiosyncrasies, like you said, you could love a card, think you're going to do great. And, you know, you get blanked and you could say, ah, not really today. And, 
and, and you wind up hitting for 50,000 or 20 or whatever the case may be. So there's, there's all these idiosyncrasies and nuances that are built into the game. And that's what makes it so challenging and so interesting on a day-to-day basis. And on that note, Jonathan, we're going to run a little business here. And you're, you're quite welcome to chime in because at Racing with Bruno, we just don't play the races. It's what we do. And every product we offer our clients was initially developed to give us our advantage at the windows. You too can get an advantage and save 25% off the listed price with our special promo code podcast on any subscription at racingwithbruno.com. Get it today. For example, a 90-day subscription through the Triple Crown is only $374 with the promo code podcast sign up today at with the work stat online or racing with and jonathan you you've been on board with us uh since probably around 2015 2014 if you were to look at racing with bruno how would you use it or how would you recommend for people to use it well I, you know i don't know that every user is going to use it like i do so i i can tell you how i use it what i look for uh, you, you know, you're out there in the morning watching horses work out. I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm sleeping when you're out there working. So, you know, when I read the workout reports, I read the comments and pay more attention to the comments than I do um, the times per se. You know, I'll look for, you know, what you say about how a horse is going what the trainer's intentions may be, what the trainer's pattern or 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 habit may be, i.e. this guy works his horses fast, this guy never works his horses fast. I think it was a year or two ago we had a conversation where I asked you about a Chad Brown horse that was working the exact same time as another Chad Brown horse in a different race. And you had told me that, well, you know, Chad works his horses in sets and a lot of times they just go, you know, neck and neck all, all, all the way around. And that's why you see those exact same times um, with a lot of a lot of his horses. So I look for things like that. Um, you, you know, when you just look in in, 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 the, in the racing form or any past performance and you see, you know, four furlongs and 48 handily, that really doesn't tell you a lot. Um, so to me, I look for, you know, the notes and the comments and, you know, what your observations were about that particular horse, that particular work. Um, another thing that I like when you include, and I know you do when you can and you're, you're aware, but I put a lot of emphasis on, just for my own, my own reasons, you know, who a horse is working with. Um, so when I see a two-year-old or, 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 or a maiden working with a, you know, a steak horse or, or, or a solid allowance horse or even just a, a, an older heavy hitter, I put some weight into that. Um, so I, I look for those kind of things. That, that's how I use it. And that's an interesting point you just brought up because I think that's a misused um, a factor in workouts, the workmate. And I, what I say misuse is because you have to try to understand what that trainer is trying to accomplish. So let's say Jonathan and I are going to work and I am going to um, go, I, I, the trainer wants me to go in a minute flat. He's going to put me with a horse that's going to go a minute flat. So, if I'm going to go a minute flat, John, the trainer is going to put me with a horse that can go 101. You can go 101, one minute four at your best. That way, I am going to get what that trainer needs out of, I'm going to get out what that trainer needs out of me without putting me in a situation to go with another horse that could go 58 and change and do too much. Vice versa. What if you, you need a good work from your, from, from your horse? You're going to put him in company with a horse that may be faster in the morning than you are. Not class-wise, but just fast. Or a speed horse. If you were a late runner, I would be a late runner. I don't know about you, John, but I think you would be a late runner too. Um, I would say 
I'm going to put a speed horse that's going to make you run and show speed. Most likely, you and I, even though we may be a better class horse than that speed horse, we're not going to be able to outrun them by using speed because we're not those kind of horses. But we're going to get that tune-up in speed-wise that it's going to help us when we get in a race. So a lot of the times I feel like I have to explain to people because they'll just arbitrarily go, well, that horse worked with that horse. That horse should run good. I have found more straight maidens working with maiden claimers and beating those maiden claimers. Those maiden claimers win more often next time out than the straight maidens do. Interesting. And the whole reason is you're putting that maiden claimer against a top-notch horse. He's a top-notch horse because you're going to put him against straight maidens. The maiden claimer is going to run against his kind or, or inferior. So he's dropping in class. Right. Makes, makes, you know, make, makes, make, makes sense. And I look at that as well. When I look at, at you know, cheaper horses, you know, working with better horses, I pay, I pay attention to that as well. But I, I do like when, when, when I know who a horse is working with and I'm, I'm familiar with both of those horses. That's just something I like to know. What are tracking trips? Um, tracking trips is, 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 is a part of my, my website where I list horses that either um, had some kind of trouble, uh, ran with or against a, a, a real and true significant bias, uh, or just ran very, very well. Uh, and I, I, I'll just flag them. I'll enter my notes about them. And when they run back, uh, I'll pay attention to them. And, and, and you know, we've had a pretty high percentage of horses win first time back after being added to that list. Uh, and it's been going on for a couple of years now. So uh, it's, it's been um, it's been a, a, a good ride for the people that are members of that particular area of my site. It's very inexpensive. Um, it's good for players on any level because really what it is, it's just another set of, 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 of trained eyes watching races and, 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 and trying to see things that, you know, maybe chart callers won't see or won't appear in the running lines. And, you know, when you spot that kind of stuff, it absolutely gives you an edge. And four eyes are always better than two doing that. So it's really like another set of trained eyes um, watching the races. And let's talk about trips. What's interesting about them is a lot of people look for horses being breaking slow, uh, flying, getting checked, boxed inside. A lot of the times I find that horses, that people look at the obvious stuff. I look for things that are a little different. I look for a horse being out of place being in a spot in the race that is not produced winners. I look for horses that are bogged down behind horses who look like they're boxed in, but don't have the run to be able to get up inside of a hole because something is there. They just don't take it because they can't do it. And another part of it is I look for horses that don't have clout with other horses, meaning that they can't park the Red Sea and move through them like some of these superstars can or or horses that have that aura about them. Absolutely. You... All, all good points. But let, I, I, I'll share a little bit about what, what I do with track and trips and how I do it. When I watch the races, um, whether I'm at the track or watching a card at home, I'll take notes on every race and things very similar to what you're describing that I see. Okay. But then what I'll do is the next morning or the next day, I'll rewatch those replays because what I have found is when you're in the heat of a race or when you watch a race live, you get a little bit of a different take than you do when you watch it a day or two later. Uh, you're kind of a lot more level headed when you watch it 24 to 48 hours after the race was run. And if that's especially true, if it's a race that you wagered on, because when you wager on a race, it, 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 it affects a lot of people's ability to be subjective about what they're seeing okay um and also what, what the normal tendency is when we watch races is you watch who's in front or who the announcer is calling or you watch who you bet on or you watch somebody making a big move and when you only watch those things 
and you can't watch everything just watching the race once. But when you only watch those things, you miss a horse that was maybe fifth or sixth, never made a move, but never had a place to run the entire way. Or, 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 or his jockey never asked him or, or, or was, was on the worst part of the racetrack or something like that that's not going to maybe appear in the running line and that everybody who's watching the race doesn't see because he's a horse that never really made a move and never really got a call. And, you know, the only people who know where he was are, are those who bet on him or, you know, maybe the owner and the trainer. And if you watch a race, you know, two or three times and you watch it, you know, a day or two after it was run, it becomes much easier to spot and watch for those kind of things. And that leads to an edge when that horse runs back because, you know, his comment in the form may not be indicative of all at all of what you saw when you watched him and of your notes. So my notes are invaluable to me and replay work when I'm handicapping or betting a card is invaluable to me. And when I go after a card, you know, seriously and, uh, you know, really, really want to go after something, I'll watch the replays as much as I spend time buried in the racing form. Uh, and take notes on everybody and make sure that, you know, I don't miss anything on any of those horses that are running in that race. And, you know, watching replays and watching races, in my opinion, is an art in and of itself, just like handicapping is and money management and ticket structure and, all, you know, all those things that we try and master to become successful at this game. Watching replays is as, is as important as any of them. And in my opinion, maybe even more so because, who do you trust more than yourself and your own eyes? Nobody. You know, I don't trust anything I read on any sheet, on any racing form, and anywhere else as I trust what I could see. Um, and, you know, if you spot something that other people are not spotting or your, your interpretation or impression of a race is a little different than the masses, if you're right, you have a tremendous edge. Um, and this game is about having an edge against the other people you're playing with. And it's funny because that leads right into my next uh, uh, comment on on something that I saw over the weekend. I have been writing about Game Winner and his works. And leading into the Breeders' Cup, I didn't like him until the last work. And that last work, Baffert put him in front of another horse. I, I want to say it was Axeman or something like that. But he put him in front of another horse. And the demeanor from game winner completely changed. Now, most people are not going to be able to watch a work and, and understand what I talk about. But the demeanor of a horse behind another horse to the demeanor of a horse in front of another horse can be night and day. I will bring a perfect example. Solomini for Baffert. When he was behind another horse, he got alongside of them. He would lug in. He would be really, you could tell, stressed out about being next to that. It was uncomfortable for Solomini to be next to that horse. However, if Solomini got in front of that horse and opened up a half a length, he became a different horse. His chest swelled. His ears started going back and forth. That's where he wanted to be. Game winner does the same thing behind other horses. And you kind of have to really teach him to sit back there, be patient, and then go by. In his last work at Los Alamitos, he did something he had done prior in the, in the pattern as well. And that as he got next to the other horse, he would lug in. I don't believe Game Winner is as comfortable in a dogfight as he is being in front of somebody or blown by somebody. He doesn't have, I don't believe he's got the intestinal fortitude to look somebody in the eye and, and basically run them down if they're game. And I thought that, and I said, you know, that's interesting. Improbable. Improbable, to me, looked like an absolute monster uh, when he was training. He had a great stride, a great air about him. But when he gets around other horses, he did it at Churchill on, on I believe, it was Oaksdale or Derby Day. I don't remember. I, I think, think it was, he, I think he it was Breeders, Cup, Breeders' Cup. Yeah. Breeders' Cup Day, sorry. Yeah, Breeders' Cup Day. Um, I thought he had to work really hard once he separated himself from the field, he became a different horse. I saw something in a work with Improbable at Santa Anita, I think two works back, when there was a Baffert Galloper on his outside, and it was a Galloper. And I saw Improbable cock his head 
and 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 it was an interesting demeanor about him. And he actually had to work really hard to get past that galloper. And I thought, huh. And as soon as he got past him, it's tried elongated. Here we go to situation now on the in the Rebel Rebels. Um, improbable gets the lead. And if you watch as long range Toddy comes alongside, improbable cocks his head to the left. Again, I'm very interested into the dynamic of how his brain works, that when he's hooked, he has a tendency to freeze a little bit. He has a tendency to to, to, to cock his head, to switch his body weight. I thought that was interesting. Game winner coming down the lane. It looks like he's going to go by Omaha Beach, right? Yes. And then he lugs in and bumps Omaha Beach near the wire. The same things he was doing in his works. If I were to look those as a trip, in my mind, those two horses don't want to be in a dogfight. They got to blow past you and they got to be in front to be at, a, at their best. And I, you know, so a lot of the times when I look at trips, I look at that and I, and I start to understanding that mental factor of the horse. I'll give you another example. War of Will, when he was in front of in the Registrar of Country House. As Country House came up to, to War of Will, Country House lugged in. He lugged in and lost his complete composure. He And, and as Kerry Thomas would say, he deferred to War of Will. He succumbed to War of Will. I find that to be absolutely exhilarating when I see horses in that manner. It's it's and, very interesting. It, it it really is. But let me ask you this, okay? Because, and 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 I'm I'm just playing, not not an advocate role or an adversarial role, but I'm just exploring everything. When you look at those things, okay? And I I noticed everything that you that you noticed, not in the works, but in the races. But I try and go a step deeper. I say, okay, you know, War Will was coming off a nice win. Um, War Will had a lot of stakes experience. And Country House, in my opinion, um, went from that big maiden breaker at Gulfstream thrown to the wolves in the Risen Star right into a stake, okay? And I always give a little bit of consideration to a horse that has a little less seasoning than another horse. I'm like, okay, I'll give him a little excuse, you know, first time thrown to the wolves. And I'll glean more from both of them when they face each other again when the playing field is, is maybe a little bit more level. On that same token, Improbable and Game Winner were both coming off layoffs, um, and Long Range Toddy um, and Omaha Beach were not. Uh, so does that, in your mind, factor in to Game Winner not going past Omaha Beach and Long Range Toddy being able to outrun Improbable to the wire? Because I think that that could have a little something to do with it, and you know, with a race under their belt, those two horses can improve and be a little bit tougher next time out. Um, See, I, I felt both of those horses, Improbable and Game Winner, had the perfect trip. They didn't get any dirt in their face. True. didn't have any traffic to deal with. People believe that going four wide causes horses to lose. It does not. It actually, if you're sitting outside of horses, that is the optimum scenario. The three wide at the three eighths is the American epitome of, of racing. You want your horse three wide at the three eights, but yet we, when we look at sheets and things like that, we give them extra credit for it. What about the horse down on the inside taking all the pressure? You know, we don't, we don't, we don't give them any any credit for that. In fact, we knock them for that. So, number one, I thought both of them had clear runs. Um, another example was Desmond on the same on the same card. Desmond then break. Set five wide, self-inflicted. Mike Smith waited on him. He made a big run, and inside the deep stretch, he started lugging in. He couldn't get him straight. So now you've got to look at it and say, is this fitness? Possibly. Because, but it is also, it is a mental thing. Because the break and slow, that was a complete loss of focus from that horse. So Desmond in itself, 
completely was unfocused at the start. And boy, have we seen that lately with Pletcher first time starters not breaking? Baffert uh, horses like these not breaking. I haven't noticed it as much with Baffert as I have with Pletcher. And Pletcher goes back to last year in Saratoga. Uh, he, he had a bunch of horses just break slow um, and not recover. And, uh, and that's continued. Yeah, and it, that's it continued. continued. And it's interesting because, you know, historically, his horses have always been good gate horses and, 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 and break on top and come out running and, and re-break when they have to. So it's kind of odd that he's had such a long run and so many horses, uh, you know, not breaking well. And, you know, getting, getting back to race watch, and I'll tell you another interesting observation. And I started learning this very young in the game. When I, when I was growing up um, and, go, and going to Aqueduct, before I was even able, able to get in, you know, during the week, I, I used to cut school and go watch the races and, and have people go into bed for me. I couldn't go in because my dad was working. And I used to watch the races. There was a hole in the fence about midway on the far turn, okay? And I used to be able to climb through that hole and get right up on the rail, um, I mean, right next to the, to the track, um, and watch the horses go by on the far turn from a little bit past the midway. They weren't at the top of the stretch yet. There was a, a little bit past the midway point, right at the apex of the far turn. And I would crouch down and watch races from over there. And I learned so now this when, when all right, we're going back to the to the to the mid to late seventies, okay? So the top riders in New York were Braulio Baeza, Angel Cordero, George Velasquez, Jacinto Vasquez, some really great, great race riders, you know? And I learned so much watching them from so close at that spot, okay? And you know, I heard them yelling at each other. I heard them cursing at each other. I heard them hollering for room. Um, I heard all kinds of stuff that when you watch a race on TV or even from the, from the stands, you have no idea is going on. I also heard horses gasping for air and horses breathing, breathing fire. And it, it just gave me a whole nother window into watching races. Escalate that to last year at Saratoga. Last year, I spent about 10 days at Saratoga and I sat almost every day up in that new section, the top of the stretch, which has a great view. You're sitting at the top of the stretch, overlooking the horses as they turn for home with a clear, direct view of them, okay? Now, Saratoga last year wasn't crowded, so it wasn't noisy. And when the horses ran by, you could hear and see a lot. And I sat with a friend of mine. And when the horses would go by, I would say, look at the horses. Look, try and pick who you think is going to win. He's like, oh, this horse is running huge. I'm like, now quick, look at the TV. And you would look at the TV, and it was a completely different picture, okay? The horse on the, on the lead in the TV looked like he was out there too and, and, and going to go all the way. But yet when we looked down at him from that spot at the top of the stretch, you could tell he was gasping for air and had no shot to get to the wire first. But if you were watching on the TV, you would have bet everything you had on him. So, you, you know, watching races and observing these kind of things um, – is is just a tremendous, you know, you know, part of the game, and you know, watching horses like like you're talking about and picking up little habits that they do, um, or, or or weaknesses, be it mental, physical, whatever the case may be, um, is is all part of the game. Angel Cordero, if you ever speak to him about race riding and about you know some of the reasons why he was so successful, he used to tell me he that he knew, okay. Not only the quirks and habits of his own horse, but he knew the other horses in the race. He knew if a horse had a habit of drifting out in a stretch, so he knew to be inside that horse. So he knew to wait right there till that horse drifts out so he could go right inside. He knew if a horse was going to lug in. He knew if a horse was going to lug out. I mean, he knew all of those kind of things, not only about his horse, about the other horses. And I incorporate that, him telling me that years ago, into handicapping and into watching races and to... You, you know, trying to pick the outcome of these animals running around a racetrack, which is, is, is not an easy thing to do. So these kind of things, I think that, you know, you're hitting on and we're talking about are crucial for people to 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 open their eyes and, and, and their minds to trying to learn and evaluate. Because, you know, there's no substitute for, for, for doing your homework and, uh, you, you know, studying and watching these things. And, you know, everybody out there listening and everybody out there playing the game, you will pick up on things that you like, that you recognize, that work for you, that you, you know, like to bet on. 
and when you do that, it's it, it's you know not only financially rewarding, but it's a, it's a, it's you know when you're right in this game, it's a great feeling. Like Joe Namath said, when you win, nothing hurts. And and John, you just described the Saratoga where I like to sit and clock. Right, and it's, it's if, amazing. If anybody you. follows and has been out watching works with me, I've had a lot of people say, "Why do you sit at the eighth pole? Why do you sit at the three sixteen pole?" On 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 the Whitney stand, I'm at the eighth pole. Right. In Kentucky, in Keeneland, I'm at the eighth pole. At Churchill Downs, I'm at the eighth pole. It's because you get to watch those horses come off the turn. And when sometimes you watch them come off the turn, you just go, whoa, this guy's loaded. And then in the morning, these riders know where the clockers are. So all of a sudden, the last eighth of a mile or sixteenth of a mile, they're gearing down. Right. Because they don't want to get that time to get a bullet. or It seems like clockers and exercise riders and everybody is really, really very careful not wanting to get the bullet. Right. And then after the wire, they're letting them smooch and letting them go. They get up on them. They look like they're done. But they're keeping riding the horse to get them to go out an extra eighth of a mile. The gallop out has been another thing that, that you know, clockers look a lot, look a lot at. Uh, when when uh, they're they're out there clocking horses, but I am at the eighth pole watching them come off the turn. I don't have to sit around with all the pigeons looking for crumbs at the clockers booth for anything. You know, if you ever looked at Saratoga, there's all these people right around the clockers booth. They're like pigeons looking for crumbs. You know, to find out who that horse is, it just went by. And you know, and 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 that's something that that separates the winners from the losers is the winners will do something different. Than everybody else. Yeah, no. When when you're looking at horses, it, when you're handicapping, it, it, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I remember I'll share a story with you when I was I was young. I was up at Saratoga, um, standing by the Oklahoma track, and I'm not going to say who the trainer was. It's not really all that important, but he was a Hall of Fame trainer, okay? And he had a couple of horses going out to work, and I, and I was standing there. I was a kid, and the guy the guy knew I was a harmless kid, you know. And uh, there were a couple of clockers there. And when the horses went by, you know, they asked who the horse was. And, uh, you know, he yelled out some name. And they, you know, they wrote down the name and they got their stopwatches and they ran for, you know, better position to watch the horse work. And I guess, you know, they, they were clocking him. Um, so when they walked away, the guy just looked at me. And again, I was a kid and he laughed. And I was like, hey, you know, what, what, what's so funny? He goes, he goes, that name I told him, he goes, he goes, that's not who it was. And he told me the name of, of who the horse was. And I said, wow, you know, that, that, that's interesting. Cause you know, I take everything in and I'm like, wow, I wonder how often, you know, that happens. At least back then I would say it happened quite a bit. Um, maybe and then you know so who the today. fault that is. And John, do you know whose fault that is? That's the clocker's fault for not looking at the horse, looking at the markings, compared who he gave them to, and make sure they got the right horse. That's the stupidity sometimes that I find. Or they know it's not the right horse, and they'll put them down anyway. I think, you know, my I think, favorite, my favorite, my favorite, it, I think, and my favorite in New York is when they put an Australian bred who has really the, kind of the same name. Like, I'm not falling for this one, guys. Okay? Yeah, no, you, you, get, you get a lot of that. Again, everybody is looking for, for an edge on every level in this game. You know, be it clockers, handicappers, owners, trainers, exercise riders. Um, I mean, everybody's looking, looking, look, looking for an edge, and 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 you, you know that's inherent to the game. It's always been a part of the game. You've got to kind of evaluate that along with everything else that you evaluate. If you're going to play this game, it's best to be aware um, of all of that stuff and of uh, you know what goes on and what 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 doesn't go on. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting. You know, what happens out there and is it, interesting. And I think that anybody that plays the game seriously should spend the morning watching the horses work out and, you know, getting out on the backside a little bit just to see. Because the backside and the front side, as you well know, are two totally different worlds. Exactly. Um, two totally and that different leads worlds. me into this. That leads me into this. Information is knowledge. Knowledge is power. Racing with Bruno exclusive info takes you to a level horse players from all walks of life. Novices, weekend players, tournament players, guys like John Stetton, Pick Six King, and even racing stable executives have come to prosper from. 
get on board at Racing with Bruno and see the power of our exclusive info, especially as we head up to Keeneland and Churchill Downs. Racingwithbruno.com and use the promo. Go to racingwithbruno.com and use the promo code podcast to for your credits or all-inclusive access. I botched that particular part, John, but this is live, so well, who cares? Anyway, um, let's talk about the state of racing. Um, what's happened in the last, this past week or so at, uh, at Santa Anita and across the country. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the way things have turned out, the Strana group was put in a really bad spot with all these breakdowns. It, and I can tell you, it's not the draft. So what is it? Well, there's a lot of different factors involved. So, John, speaking of information is knowledge, knowledge is power. Understanding the situations that is happening in California, can you bring some clarity to it? Probably not. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know what's happening in, at Santa Anita. And I don't think anybody who's openly talking really does. Um, I'm not saying that nobody does. I'm saying that nobody talking about it really does. It's one of those, those who know don't say, and those who say don't know situations, or maybe, maybe nobody really knows because there's, there's been no firm, solid, verifiable reason for the breakdowns. Everything from Lasix to sealed racetracks to, Earthquakes under the ground, uh, high tide, low tide, weakened breed, this, that, the other thing has been blamed. Um, I don't know what the reason is. I do know that 22 breakdowns um, from December 26th to, to a couple of weeks ago is, is too high for me to buy. It's coincidental. So I think there is an underlying cause somewhere. Um, I, and John, I don't you, know what uh, it is. Have, have you read some of the the information I've been laying out along with Ray Pollock and other individuals on the bisphosphonates? I have read that, that yes. Now, well, for people who don't know what bisphosphonates are, it is a drug that was brought up by by veterinarians for horses that were four-year-olds or up. In fact, in Europe, they're not allowed, they're banned from being given to any horse under the three and a half years of age. What they do is when, a, when, when the bone is weak or there is an issue with a bone, your bone and your own body creates a replacement bone that is a quickly fill-in bone to protect that area and it's a woven bone it's not very it's not very strong but it's enough to be able to keep the integrity of the bone itself and later the body produces the correct bone that fills out that wooden bone that woven bone and it re, and, and it, it solidifies that whole area to normal bone density so why would veterinarians give this to horses with weak bones. Well, if you look at the number of horses that have died, you had a couple of four-year-old unraced first-time starters. You had a seven-year-old that was only had 13 starts. You had a five-year-old that had 11 starts. You had a, a number of horses that only made one start or two starts in their career. Well, that tells you a lot about that animal. That tells you that their bone density wasn't enough to be able to keep them sound, to be able to race and take the stress of California training. This is key. The stress of California training, of pushing those horses. You now, so now you have, in my opinion, this is my theory, after reading all this information, including from Dr. Larry Bramlage, who was quoted as saying, I wish I had never seen these drugs before. So these horses are, and, and, are now being asked to run over sealed rock hard surfaces. If you've got frail 
doctored bone that doesn't have bone density, it's going to create those shattered limbs that Dr. Rick Arthur said, I've never seen such horses' bones shattered in this manner. So, to me, having understand bisphosphonates, and, and it all started for me two years ago, John. Rudy Del Judas, who handles our farm in, in class, a Classic Mile in Ocala, called me one day. And he said, it was around 2017, and he said, ah, oh, this guy has been trying to tell me I need to get my horses on this stuff that promotes bone and fills it in. It's supposed to be really good, he says. He, I, I said, well, have you checked with Jonathan? Jonathan McClellan is one of our vets, and he's one of the top vets in the country. And about an hour later, Rudy called me back. He goes, I just talked to Jonathan, and he told me to stay away from this stuff. This stuff is no good. They are giving it to claimers. They're giving it to babies They're, to make bone look good for the x-rays. So he, go, he said, stay away from it. This is no good. Don't touch it. I will not allow you to do so. So that's two years ago. And now reading all these articles, seeing John Gunther, the breeder of Candy Ride, come out and, and blast by sphophonates and people that use it. Seeing Headley Bell from Mill Ridge coming out and 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 condoning the use of bisphosphonates, seeing Dr. Bramlage come out and basically say this is the worst drug we've ever seen, and hearing trainers telling me this is rampant on the backstretch. This is a recipe for disaster because this stuff builds fake bone, and you cannot replace good bone with fake bone and not expect something catastrophic. That's my opinion. That is my theory. It makes as much sense as, as most of the other theories that I've heard. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, 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 the problem out there is. Um, I do know this. If I had a horse out in California right now, I would probably move him. You know what I would do, first of all? I would check my vet records to make sure that that stuff had not been pumped in my horse. And if it had... That horse is out of there as fast as I, that if, uh, as I can get a moving company to get him out of there. I don't mind being in California. You know, not that I am. I don't have any horses there anymore. But I just want to make sure that my trainer understands the ill effects of that particular. They're thinking they're doing the right thing. But they're not. Especially on a horse... Like, for example, the one that, that broke down that had seven, that had 12 starts as a seven-year-old. What does that scream out, John? Yeah, not sound. Has issues. No question. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's – and I – you know, I, I applaud, you know, the, the steps that are being taken, the no LASIKs and, you know, and all these issues. But the bottom line is we have to control. We have to control what can actually be given to a horse. And is it good for that horse? If it's not, don't give it to them. We pride ourselves at our farm, at Classic Mile, over at Molly Mae McKenzie's farm, where I have my babies, Mullican Farm in Kentucky, that we don't give anything to the horses that's going to be harmful to them. And, and sometimes you don't know that it's harmful to them. Let's read the label and you know, let's I follow agree. what the label says. I, I, I agree. Well, that, that, you know, that just speaks loudly towards, you know, reducing the drugs that we use on these horses anyway. Um, but no, I, I, I agree. And that makes sense. I don't, I don't know enough about that to really speak intelligently on it. Um, but uh, I probably wouldn't, you know, I for sure wouldn't use it, you know, it's, you know, and John, you've been around a long time. You've heard about everything. I think people misunderstand uh, when they think, you know, for example, people want to see the vet bill. Well, why don't we make the vet bills a public thing? Well, wait a minute. You're going to have, you're going to tell me that Joe Blow is going or Joe Gamble is going to look at that and he's going to know what that is. He's going to see Lubricin and he's going to go, Oh, they gave him Lubricin every day, you know, or how about Gastrogard? Ooh, gastrogard every day. Or how about when you, you give them Tutrozil, if I pronounce it correctly? The EPM, EPM um, medicine, Marquis. Ooh, they're giving them Marquis once a week. They douse them in it. Ooh. You know, they don't know what that stuff is. They have no clue what that is. 
It's like taking somebody, it's like taking you, John, and saying, okay, John, give me all the medications you're taking, you know? But you think somebody's going to go look at each and every one of them to see what they are to go, ooh, John's taking, you know, stenonazole. Well, what about if you had an infection, you know? So to me, the veterinarian records are just absolutely idiotic to even put out there because you don't have educated people looking at it. You have educated people, but you don't have educated people in what those are and what they're for. Creatine. I guarantee you, if I put creatine on my vet list, people are going to say, oh, you get that. What's creatine? Creatine builds muscle. It's a natural part of, of, of a bodybuilder, of an athlete. In your experiences, how much drugs, uh, how much does drugs actually affect racing? Legal or illegal drugs? Both. A lot. A lot. I, 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 okay. I think, expand on it. Okay. I think that I think that therapeutic legal drugs are overused, misused, and used off label uh, to a, a very high degree, much more than most people in the industry are willing to admit. Okay. Um, I think most people in the industry on the backside turn a blind eye to it and we've become hardened to it and just accepting of it. Um, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you, you know, the, the drug everybody loves to talk about on one side or the other. And I'm not going to get into whether I'm pro-Lasix or anti-Lasix. What I will say is this. 95 to 97% of the horses that race in America probably don't need Lasix, okay? Or at least shouldn't need Lasix. But 95% of them are on Lasix. Um, that's too much. That tells me something's wrong. Um, you know, and that's on the legal side. You know, a couple of years ago, we had trainers come out and say they had their whole bonds on, on thyroid medication, even though the horses didn't have thyroid problems. That's using a drug off-label for something other than what it's prescribed. Um, but do, do, what, 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 let me stop you right there. Does anybody really actually know what thyroid L is? I do. It's a powder. It's in all your thyroid supports that you take off uh, off the shelf, and 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 I guarantee you that if you get thyroid L, and you have a powder of it off the shelf, probably two percent of it is thyroid L. Now there's probably guys that can get it in 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 basically full form, but I don't think thyroid L is that big a deal. I think that anytime you use a medication that, that, that is intended to treat thyroid conditions and you don't have a thyroid condition, the, the, the ramifications and after effects of that medication become very questionable and can vary from athlete to athlete or horse to horse. That's number one. Number two, any medicine that's used to treat the thyroid speeds up the metabolism, okay? If you artificially speed up a metabolism, there's consequences to that. What they are, again, is going to vary from horse to horse, but I don't think it's something that, that, that needs to or should be being done in the racehorse industry, okay? And these are legal drugs we're talking about, okay? If you want and Can I ask you a question or follow up on that? Absolutely. When you talk about, when you talk about, you know, the, the, the amount of drugs. Does racing use fewer or more drugs than NFL players? Um, that, that's a tough question because the NFL is very, very good at um, concealing that. And, you know, anybody that, that you know, doesn't want to be an ostrich and pulls their head out of the sand realizes that these guys to compete um, you know, almost have to be on HGH and, 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 you know, things like that. So I don't know who uses more probably. Uh, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> a good question, isn't it's it? Good, yeah. It's, 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 it's a good question. And it's, you know, you'd be speculating, but, you know, getting to the illegal side in our game. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, you can't, point your finger at any individual without being able to prove that they're doing something. But when I look at the past performances from Sunday at Gulfstream, okay, well, let me ask you this, okay? And I want you to be as liberal in your answer as possible, okay? If you're running a barn claiming horses, 
okay? And you're claiming horses, and you can run them back wherever you want. You can claim for 16, run back for 16, for 12. You just want to win races, okay? What percentage off the claim would you think is very good? Well, first of all, the biggest problem we have is that there's no longer a jail, a claiming jail. Give me a number. Where? 20%? I, I would have to say, I would have to say it'd have to be 12 to 15%. Okay. But I see guys winning at 30%, you know, and I, and I, and listen, right. I had, I, I've never dealt with, with claiming horses because I don't believe in buying another man's trash because that's what it is. Right. Okay. But, but I have seen trainers bring a horse in, put their hand in their mouth, feel their teeth, do all the little things. Now, do I think that makes a difference? Yeah, but not where the guy would hit at thirty percent. Okay, I'm 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 liking your numbers. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna use them to illustrate why this game has become a cesspool. Okay, and you can go look this up. I'm not gonna give names, but I'm gonna certainly give a date. Okay, thirty percent would be a very liberal number. You said twelve to fifteen percent, but you see guys winning at thirty percent. Like, wow, that's an eye-catching number. If you look at the past performances for Gulfstream Park last Saturday, there were six different trainers. Six. Okay, everyone had fifteen or more starts at the meet, all winning over 40%, some 50% off the claim. Can't be done. Can't be done. There's too many good guys out there. But it's good being done. That, okay. That, that you, you can't. And, and I think, well, let, let me bring one guy that gets bludgeoned a lot around here. It's Georgie Navarro. And I'm not making excuses for him. I'm not going to say anything like that. But number one, he's got numbers. Okay. Number two, if you watch the way Georgie Navarro places his horses, he places his horses where they can win. Most, now, good, most good claiming trainers do. Exactly. Um, they'll take a $50,000 horse to run them for 30, you know, because they know they can win for 30. Right. Now, now, does that horse have issues? And is he doing something extracurricular? I don't know. Let me stop you there. Because George Navarro, okay, is not on my list of six guys. He's That's interesting. At, he's winning at 20-something percent off the claim, okay? And I think he's like 26 or 28% at the meet, whatever the case may be. He's not on my list of six. Now, if that list of six doesn't hit you smack dab in your face and tell you something's wrong, you should be playing another game because this game is not, is not for you. You know what I mean? Well, I can you, tell you. You I might can... as well go to Times Square and play three-card Monty because you got the same shot of spotting that red card that you do or coming out ahead at the end of, uh, end of the meet if you don't realize what you're dealing with. And that's, you know, the game, they, they don't want to acknowledge that. The Stronach Group operates Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. And all the attention, everything is on, on Santa Anita right now. And everybody's talking about it. And you got six guys hitting between 40 to 50% off the claim. That's just too high, man. Well, Anybody I'm going to tell you where that. I put the blame here in Florida. I don't put the I, I put the blame squarely on the back of the Florida government who uh, abolished the, 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 the Florida horse racing board. Uh -huh. There is no board here. There is absolutely no board. They don't do anything to really help out Stronic Group in 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 in, in, in testing and security and things like that. When you have trainers that are at independent private facilities who have security to keep people out, not bring people in or, 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 or guarding the inmates. You got a problem. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's funny when, when, when I had horses, okay. I had horses with Peter Walder, who was an excellent trainer. Okay. And I think I did something when I had horses that, that not many owners can claim. I think I went two and a half years where I actually had to cut a check for one bill. My horses all paid their way, okay? We all, we, we won. They used to write about us, okay? You know, Peter off the claim was so deadly. Andy Bayer once wrote an article, has to be juicing horses, blah, blah, blah. 
let me tell you something. We weren't juicing horses, okay? I could tell you exactly what we were doing. And we were hitting about 25 26% off the claim, which was excellent. We were raising eyebrows all over the place. But what we would do is we would look at horses um, in barns that cut corners, that didn't use good yes. feed, that didn't Correct. use supplements, that didn't use, you know, equine massage, that didn't use laser, that didn't use stuff, all legal good stuff, that didn't put all the horses on, you know, ulcer medication and fix their teeth and do everything that you're supposed to do. And we would claim a horse for 12.5, okay? And we would put them in a barn and put them on our program with best feed, best supplements, best everything, equine massage, laser, this, that, acupuncture, whatever we could do. Yeah, were my vet bills high? Absolutely. Were my incidental bills high? Absolutely. But you know, I know something? Within a week, 10 days, okay, we'd run back in about 30 days, but within a week, 10 days, I didn't have to ask Peter, is this horse going to do well? I would go by the barn in the morning, Bruno, and the horse would go from a horse that was standing in the stall sulking, okay, to a horse whose nostrils were flaring, kicking and charging the webbing, okay? Couldn't wait to get out, couldn't wait to go to the track. Feed time, they were howling, hooting and howling. I mean, I didn't have to ask him, is he going to win? Is he going to run good? I knew it just by looking at him. It was like looking at Mike Tyson standing across from Trevor Burbick. Did you have to ask yourself who was going to win that fight? No. You looked at those guys looking at each other eye to eye, and you knew Tyson was going to knock him out. That's how the horses looked after a week to 10 days. And we would run back for 12-5, maybe 16, maybe 10, wherever the race was, right around what we took them for. And they'd win off the screen. And, 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 and oh, I, juice, juice, juice. was no juice. No. We're just doing our job. Today, you know, I'll tell you, being involved in the breeding business. Can't do that. Breeding, being involved in the breeding business, John, I, I breed my own babies. I keep the ones that I think are good. The other ones I basically give away. Um. What we do is we start from scratch with them from a, when they're small foals and we put them on supplements that helps them get size, strength, use Hainan, Adequan, calcium, minerals. We have found something called diatomaceous earth that really helps them re- remove the parasites from their system. We have them on Baycox, which is uh, Marquee, which is uh, EPM uh, medicine that helps with the parasites in the spinal column that every horse has. And, can, and that can cause paralyzed flaps. We go this holistic route to, to raise a good, mentally, physically sound animal. Now, whether they have talent or not, that's another question. But we give them the opportunity to get to that point. What Rudy Do Judas and I do with our babies, we go looking for horses that are not coming out of the two-year-old training sales. We look for the horses that are not been used up in those sales and, and, and been given stuff that, that it's going to be detrimental to them. We don't try to find the horses that have gone, have to go out there and, and, and learn how to go 10 flat and an eighth of a mile, because that's not what they're supposed to do in their life. So you're absolutely right. If you can do it the right way. And I can, and, and for, for my particular point, Miss Locust point bought for 17,000, we turned her into a $1.7 million horse. Bridget Maloney bought it for nine thousand, turned her into a three hundred and eighty-five thousand dollar horse that's won twenty-one races. So I can go down that list. If you can do the right by horses, they do right by you, and that's what you're talking about. You 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 were finding horses that were not cared for as well as you could, and you and you did it. Is that happening now? I don't know. I don't think so. But I'd be interested in finding that that list and find out how many of those came from Gulfstream Park West. Well, it, it, it is what it is. Get 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 last Sunday's form. It's all damn black and white, and you, you know, it goes to to your question. The, the the game is tougher today than than it ever was. If you, if you if you're betting this game to beat the game and make a profit every year, and you're not doing so with the assistance of rebates, um, which I don't do. I'm not a rebate player. Uh, it is it, it's tougher than it ever was. It was easier to make a living at this game and I, a good living at this game 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, today, there's just so many uh, you, you know hurdles in front of you that uh, it's, 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 it's just it, 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 it's tough. You, you know, you're well, let's help them out. Let's help people out. Let's help people out that listening. By the way, John, this time has flown by. You and I could do this all day, couldn't we? I could talk horses all day. That's pretty much what I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I do too. But 
here's a situation. Let's help them out. Tell people how to find you. And if they want to sign up for tracking trips, how do they do that? Just go to pastorwire.com. Um, you can sign up for tracking trips there and you can read articles, um, not just written by myself, but a lot of other people in the game um, that, uh, you know, cover a wide subject uh, uh, you know wide array of topics and uh, you know there's a lot of handicapping articles uh, about the sheets ticket structuring money management ev- everything you can imagine I've, I've, I've written about stuff two three years ago that people are talking about today um, you just got to go back through you know the past the wire articles and and, and and find them but there's a there's a world of information there um, and always new stuff coming out and you could, you know, you could sign up and get it, you know, weekly delivered to your, to your email, or you can just go on there whenever you want. And if you're interested in tracking trips and another set of eyes, you can go on there and join, join that as well. But there's, there, there's a lot of information there, um, on every topic in, in the game and, you know, all of it's pretty, pretty straightforward. We don't, we don't really pull any punches. I mean, I've never known you to, uh, Pull any, pull any punches at all. You, you know, people may not agree with everything we say. There's always different views, and I respect other people's views as well. But, you know, you can count on us to call it the way that we see it, you know? That's why we get along. Jonathan <laughs> Stetton from com. He's been a fantastic guest here today. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is Bruno at Racing with Bruno. You can hear all our podcasts at Podcast Central and take advantage of your promo code podcast and get 25% off on any subscription of credits or all-inclusive packages today at racingwithbruno.com. Jonathan, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.